0: Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse 57. This is God's word. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Cephas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin we were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two men came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. Amen.
1: Well, let's turn together to Matthew 26, 57. It's page 997. If you've got a pew Bible, 997. Matthew 26, verse 57. Liar, lunatic, or Lord? That's the question. Bad, mad, or God? People have been making up their minds about Jesus ever since he was on earth. Who was he? Who is he? And what does the answer that I come to about that really critical question mean for me? And we see this, of course, in the Gospels. One of the common reactions of the crowd to Jesus, especially early on in his ministry, is to ask this very question, who is this? So the disciples, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Who is this who teaches with such authority? And in the passage before us, this question is being asked in the most formal of ways. Jesus is on trial. Who is he? And you will see that there are those who make a conclusion about him in verse 66, and they say he is worthy of death. Whoever he is, he's worthy of death. And and what I want us to see this morning is that that's a very wrong conclusion, I want us to come to a different conclusion, and that is that he is worthy, not of death, he is worthy of discipleship. Not worthy of death, but worthy of discipleship. Worthy of you and me saying, I am going to follow him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be his disciple. And here's why this matters. Some of you this week are going to be going into workplaces that are really, really difficult. And you're trying to do the right thing. You've been trying to do the right thing to try and be a witness there, to speak a word uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's costly. It only makes sense if he is Lord of all and worthy of our discipleship. Some of us are trusting him with big issues in our lives, and we're we're resting, we're trying to rest in the knowledge that he is in control, that he can be trusted. And that only makes sense if he is Lord of all, worthy of our trust and our discipleship. Some of us perhaps are are weighing up what it might mean to commit our lives to Christ. We're not yet Christians, and we're thinking about it. And and, and the only way that, that it would make sense for us to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, would be if we are convinced that he is Lord of all, that he really is who he says he is. So it really matters who Jesus is. Is he worthy of death? Is he worthy of being pushed to the margins and out of our lives? Or is he worthy of discipleship? There really isn't any middle ground. So this morning, we're just going to look at this story. We're just going to follow it through as if we were a fly on the wall. You'll you'll notice that Peter follows Jesus into the courtyard of Caiaphas. He doesn't get to see what we're going to see. He wants to see the end. He wants to see how it's all going to pan out. But, But we get to see what Peter couldn't see. So we're going to be a fly on the wall in the trial of Jesus. There's lots of activity Packed into just a few hours within the Gospels. All of this takes place during the night. Jesus has had the Last Supper, uh, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's arrested probably sometime around midnight, and he's passed around then between uh, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities, between the Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and, and Pilate. And then in the morning he is taken out to be crucified. Now, the whole situation is made very complex because there were two jurisdictions operating in Jerusalem at the time. There was the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities. And, And typically, whenever Rome conquered an area as they had with Judea, when they conquered an area, they left a lot of the local jurisdiction and legal structures and all of those things in place. But but they kept some of the powers for themselves. And so the Jewish authorities could meet and could decide that Jesus was worthy of death, but they couldn't carry it out. The Romans had reserved the power to do the death penalty for themselves. And so the problem for the Jewish authorities was that the sort of thing that would have rendered Jesus liable for the death penalty in their thinking, things like blasphemy, for example, well, the Romans didn't care about that. People declared themselves to be gods all the time. They didn't matter. So, so the Jewish leaders had a big problem to find out a charge that would both satisfy their own desires, but also get Jesus into trouble with the Romans. So Jesus comes before Caiaphas in the middle of the night, number of teachers of the law and elders, and, and it's a reference to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the, the highest Jewish court. It was both political and judicial, so, so it was a bit like a cross between Stormont and the high court. What a marvelous place that would be uh, to, to, to spend time in. Well, well, this was the Sanhedrin. It had 71 members, and it probably, seeing that it was meeting during the night, this is probably a subset of them, and then the full body meet... In the morning, uh, the beginning of chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, uh, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, uh, the governor. So here they are before Caiaphas. Who's Caiaphas? Well, the original high priest had been a man called Annas. He's referred to in the Gospels, John chapter 18, for example. He, he was Caiaphas's father-in-law. And strictly speaking, the high priest's job was a job for life. But the Romans had come in. They'd changed things around. They had deposed him. But they had allowed other high priests to come from Annas's family. So Caiaphas is married to his daughter. He's still involved. John tells us that actually before Jesus reaches Caiaphas, he's with Annas for a little while. And Annas passes him on. Now, now most of the high priests after Annas only kept their job for a a year or or even less sometimes. But Caiaphas was in post for 18 years. He was a political mastermind. He he knew how to work the Romans. He was a political survivor. He, He would have been very concerned that any upset in the nation would have rocked the boat with the Romans and therefore would have threatened his privileged position. We know that political history is peppered with stories of powerful men who have bent the truth and uh, engineered the downfall of their opponents, even had opponents put to death. And, And Caiaphas stands in that tradition. So Jesus is there before him, before the political leadership on trial. It's not much of a trial actually. Verse 59 tells us that the verdict has already been decided. They just need to back up the whole thing with some evidence. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin, verse 59, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. There's a great way to start a trial. Bible experts have counted something like 14 different ways in which this trial contravened the, the given rules at the time of what a fair trial was like. For example, a, a trial was not supposed to happen during the night. If it was a capital crime where the death sentence was a possibility, then the death sentence was not allowed to be passed on the same day as the trial. You had to go and sleep on it, as it were. And there were a number of other irregularities, but they all seemed to have been able to get round these, but their big problem was getting witnesses to agree. There's maybe some money on offer, so it doesn't look as if they've any problem getting people to come forward, but they couldn't get their story straight None of them were able to agree and needed two witnesses uh, to agree for a, a, a successful verdict. And you can imagine how frustrated the Jewish leaders are becoming. And it's made all the worse by the fact that Jesus is not answering. And finally, then, two men come forward. This fellow said, they say, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, they were nearly right. This seems to be a misunderstanding and a misquote of what Jesus had said In John chapter 2, Jews had asked him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do these things? And Jesus said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, he wasn't talking, he was at the temple, but he wasn't talking about the temple. John makes it clear he was talking about his body. Destroy this temple, my body, I will raise it again in three days. But, but the Jews aren't interested in that interpretation. Uh, to threaten the temple was something that could be a problem for the Romans. And here they've got two witnesses who agree and Caiaphas really feels he's onto something here. So he presses a little bit harder. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? And Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't consider such a charge worthy of an answer perhaps. But also he's... He's the Jesus of Isaiah 53, isn't he? Where it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus knows exactly who he is. So Caiaphas is really frustrated now. He goes out in a limb. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God, this was a thing called the, the charge under oath. It was not supposed to be used in a capital case, but it, it sort of required an answer. And Jesus chooses to answer this time. And his answers a, a little bit odd, a little bit hard to translate. We know that there are lots of misunderstandings at the time of Jesus about both what it meant to be the Son of God and to be the Messiah especially, Jesus doesn't use either term all that much for that reason. But he says something like, you have said it. He probably means something like, yes, but not in the sort of way that you think. And then he goes much further. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's clearly talking about himself. There's a reference to the passage that we read right at the beginning of the service. Daniel chapter 7, one, like the Son of Man, presented to the ancient of days, God Himself. It says He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Idea of coming in the clouds with God is to show a level of relationship with, the, with God that is far beyond what any Jew would ever have claimed for themselves. Well, Caiaphas can hardly believe what has happened. Perhaps in genuine outrage or mock outrage, he tears his robes, he accuses Jesus of blasphemy, he asks for support in the decision, and all his little minions line up and say, he's worthy of death, they answer. And they proceed to abuse Jesus. They spit in his face. They punch him. Some of the other gospels tell us that the guards do this. In Matthew, it seems to be implied that the, 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 the members of the Sanhedrin, or at least some of them, join in these Jewish leaders. Their actions are chosen to underline that they do not believe what he has just said. You're the one who's going to come in power on the clouds. See how powerless you are now in front of our fists. You're the one who who says you know what's going to happen at the end of time. Tell us who hit you. Prophesy to us, Messiah. And in the morning then, the whole Sanhedrin ratifies this decision. And he's handed over to Pilate and the Romans. There's the Jewish trial. There's the Roman trial. We look at that again. They've made their decision, however. Jesus is worthy of death. That's their decision. What about about ours? Here we are. We're given this privileged position, being a fly on the wall, watching Jesus and his conduct in the face of incredible pressure. What about our decision? I I told the story about the visitor to a a European art gallery who was loudly making their views known about a world-famous masterpiece hanging on the gallery wall. And the curator came alongside this woman it happened to be, and and he said to her quietly, Madam, you should know that the, the value of this work is beyond question. It is not the painting here that is on trial. It is those who come to view it. It's, it's the same with the gospel accounts of Jesus, you see. Matthew's already given us so much evidence to say, this is who Jesus is. Look at his, his person. Look at his nature. Look at his work. His, his value is beyond question. But, but those who come across him, they're on trial. Some of them, like Caiaphas, dismiss him loudly. But it really just says something about them. They've failed the test. What do we see whenever we see Jesus like this? Do we think, oh, he's, he's weak, he, he, he's not worth following? Do we just not understand why doesn't he do something? Or do we see the Lord of glory? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's a remarkable picture, isn't it, that Daniel sees. He's the one whose kingdom is never ending. And yet, here he is bound, accepting a corrupt trial, allowing himself to be abused and put to death. Why does he do that? Well, Caiaphas is recorded in John's gospel as saying something that he he doesn't know the full meaning of. He, he, he says in John chapter 11, Caiaphas, who was the, the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying. He was saying it would be a good thing if this troublemaker died uh, so that the whole nation wouldn't be punished by the Romans. But of course, what John wants us to see is that Jesus was dying for the nation, indeed for the whole world, for all of his people everywhere. He was bearing their sin. He was their substitute. You see, the truth is we need Jesus to do this. We need him to meekly submit himself to this path because we need him to take our sin. And so while we should be outraged about how he is treated, about the evil of Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders, we, we, we say humbly, yes, Jesus, this is the way. Keep going along this path. You have said you are to be delivered into the hands of evil men Do this because I need you to do this for me. We're going to sing at the end. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a savior. Who is this Jesus? He, he, he's not lying to us. He, he, he's not telling us that he is someone he's not. He's not self-deluded. There's, these are not the actions of a madman. He is the Lord of glory, the Son of Man, given authority by the Ancient of Days. And the way that he will bring in his kingdom is by laying down his life so that we can be made his. So were we seeing this broken man for who he really is? Son of man, Lord of glory, the Messiah who will judge Caiaphas and us and all people. Are we saying, yes, he, he, he must die. He's not worthy of death, but, but he must die. He is worthy of discipleship. worthy of following. What does that mean for us today? When we find ourselves facing a big problem in our lives, you know, something in which we feel ourselves to be out of control. Isn't that what happens sometimes? Just something crashes into our lives and and all of the illusions of of control that we build up around ourselves just disappear. And we know that we don't have the capability of changing things ourselves. All we can do is is look outside of ourselves. Does it make sense for us to look to this Jesus? Can we say to him, help me, I'm looking to you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. He's the one who's the son of man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And the fact that he is this Jesus and yet is submitting himself to this cross shows that he cares for for you and for me immensely. How much he must love you if he would take your place like this. So so when that big thing comes into your life, can't you hold on to such a one as this? You must. What about those of you trying to stand for him in a challenging world? Does it make sense to ally ourselves with one who is so unpopular at times? Why not just adopt the prevailing views of the culture, you know, live and let live, what you believe is your business, what I believe is my business, let's leave it at that. Why should we do the, the costly work of, of praying for others and, and always looking for that opportunity to try and point others to Him? Why should we do that? Does that make sense? Of course it does. Because he is who he says he is. He's the judge of all people. Your office colleagues, your neighbors, you and me. He will come in the clouds and every eye will see him. It will be too late then to realize that he is true after all. People need to meet him before they see him. What about the daily grind of discipleship? It's costly to live for Jesus, not just because of our world, but because of ourselves, isn't it? We battle against sin in our own lives. We, we struggle to say, not my will, but thine be done. We, we, we set our minds on things above and not on earthly things, but that's tough. Is it the right thing to do? Of course it is, because he is Lord. People of every language will worship his kingdom as one that will never be destroyed. So he is worthy of discipleship. He's worthy of your discipleship. What have you here today? Just in a final word. What have you here today? And the question that's on your mind is, is this Jesus for me? I'm not a Christian yet. Is this Jesus for me? Better question is, who is this Jesus? Because if he is not a liar, not a lunatic, and is Lord, then he is for you. He came for you. Let's pray to him now. Lord, sometimes we confess that we don't think through these questions the way that we should. We sort of acknowledge you to be Lord, and and yet we don't allow that to impact our lives. When things rattle us, when it comes to living for you, when it comes to witnessing for you, Lord, we pray that you will help us to to know that because you are lord all of these things are possible it's possible to live for you it's possible to stand for you it's possible to dedicate ourselves to you and not only is it possible but it absolutely makes sense Lord, we pray that you'll help us to do that. And if for us that question is coming for the first real time, Lord, in your mercy, in your power, will you help us to throw in our lot, to to entrust ourselves To this one, the Lord of glory, who submitted himself to the cross for us. Help us, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.